let's welcome Randy to our Legends of the Sports series. Hi, Randy. We're glad you're here. Well, thank you very much. This uh, this will be fun. Um, so, I guess to get this whole thing started here, the the Bradford family's been racing for a long time. Uh, started out with your dad. Uh, uh, when when did he? start racing how did he become interested in cars and how did that all happen for him well um my dad was basically raised on a farm in southern california and uh you know a guy gets the old tractor bug i guess and that just equates into cars <laughs> so he started actually racing uh el mirage and street racing in around 46 and uh, then he had always he was the uh, manager of a large engine rebuilding shop in Southern California called Durabilt, and uh, then in the early '60s he started his own business, uh, Bradford's Crankshaft Service, and so uh, at a very young age I learned uh, automotive machining and grain and crankshafts <laughs> but uh back to pop as we lovingly and everybody has called him pop for many years um yeah so we had go-karts and and all kinds of stuff until about 62 and uh, then we built a 44 pickup which was i mean all his doing, really, with uh, with his backing. So uh, he's he was always in automotives and built engines up till like the last few months uh, that he lived. So yeah, he was a a good, very good machinist, a good engine assembler, and uh, one heck of a good tuner. So uh, that forty yeah, truck. That 40 truck, what did that thing have in for, it, uh, for an engine? We had uh, a 327 and a Chevy and a cross ram manifold and, uh, you know, the whole works. To, and I think it ran uh, mid-13s, about 110. Wow. And uh, so I actually started driving that at Lyons before I had a driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, you were supposed to have a driver's license there. And uh, my dad was always afraid CJ Hart would find out. And uh, so after I turned 16, everything was cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, I, I wasn't old enough to be able to ever be at Lions, but uh, I wish I'd have had that opportunity. I, I hear these tremendous stories about Lions and what an iconic place it was to race at. What was it like racing there? Oh, it was, uh, it was great. It was great. Um, the venue, uh, of the track itself, you know, was terrific. And back then, I mean, there wasn't a place to stand or set. I mean, no. they would pack the place in and, uh, gosh, you know, we always uh, ran good there. The air was killer. You'd always make a lot of power. But then uh, the evening mist would come in and the track would get slick every time. Uh, but, uh, but it just made for another challenge. 
was it was great stuff. Yeah, I wish I'd have had the opportunity to see that. Um, what what year did so you you started driving the forty truck? What what year was that that you got involved finally racing? Uh, that'd be about mid sixty three. Wow! So and, you've been doing this a long time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm I'm seventy two, and uh, still just absolutely enjoy it. So <laughs> you know. What was the, okay, so we've got the 40 truck. What was the family's, I guess, I don't want to negate the truck, but what was the family's first true effort at drag racing? Uh, well, we actually took all the running gear out of that and put it in a 55 Chevy that ran sea gas. Oh. And so we ran sea gas for a couple of years and uh, won a lot of trophies. I've got a lot of trophies here on the wall from, from Lyons, Irwindale, Carlsbad, you know, all the places back there with the sea gasser and Fontana. So, um, yeah, it was a, a good way to be broken into the sport, running sea gas, and the uh, truck was really competitive. And uh, so that's, yeah, that's how it all really started. So I, I'm trying to, I, I, you know, I did my research and I'm, I'm trying to imagine how one makes that step from sea gas to fuel altered. Was there, was there a step in between there? Or did you just go right into it? I actually went right into it. <laughs> I was 18 and uh, we had the sea gas 55 Chevy and we decided we were going to run a gas with it. So I was in the process of uh, lightening it up and, putting a 427 Chevy in to run a gas and just about had it ready to start sliding the motor into the 55 Chevy. And my dad, I came home or I came to work from school and my dad said, um, would you like to drive a fuel alter? Well, I'm 18. Heck yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll drive anything. We don't care. We <laughs> have no sense of, of anything that's reality. You know? Oh, I remember being 18. <laughs> yeah. But we were really fortunate at the time. We were hanging out with Leon Fitzgerald and those guys. And so um, an altered, I was exposed already. And, um, and we put the uh, 427 Chevy injected on fuel in it. So it wasn't the huge step into a blown fuel car. Yeah. But the doggone thing, you know, back when before we had really good tires and sliding yeah. clutches and everything, it was really competitive. Um we were runner up three times in a row at Orange County at the regular fuel altered show. And uh so yeah, it was a, it was great experience and really a lot of fun because all you did was just pour ninety eight percent in it and stand back and you know we didn't have to adjust the clutch every time and dive under it, check bearings and go through all that process. We just fueled it up and ran it again, you know. But, so would that have been just a single A fuel altered then? It was A fuel altered. Right? Yeah. Okay. And were there, were there a lot of were there a lot of uh, alters around at that point? Yeah. Oh, there was a ton. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, I've, I've seen pictures of the lineups that used to happen at OCIR back in the early 70s. And, you know, you'd have these 16-car fields with alters that looked great. I wish I could have seen that, too. Yeah, there'd be 16 cars uh, field, and then, shoot, there'd be 25 cars sometimes would show up for it. Wow. So, yeah, it was it was really fun. So the next step, I assume, had to be going blown to double-A fuel altered. Right. Well, Mike Jones, who uh, ran Orange County Raceway, was upset that uh, an A-fuel car kept going to the finals and basically came out and said, this is a double-A fuel altered show. Either put a supercharger on it or don't bring it in. <laughs> wow. So, so, you know, the supercharger went on and, and uh, the Chevy ran well at the time, you know, ran really well. That really changed the performance of that car with the supercharger on? Oh, yeah. 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 Back in, back at that time, it was, it was, uh, we were running 860s with the injected car. And then we just dropped right down to, you know, really low eights. Yeah. And then uh, when we started with better tires and slippy clutches, I think the best the Chevy ever ran was like a uh, 760 204. Wow. And, um, and that was in, um, I'm going to say 68, 69. It was before I was, I went into service. So, so you, were actually, you were actually approaching, well, you were getting within the range of top fuel speeds at that point. They were running what at that point, 680s at 225, somewhere in that range? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I, I just have to ask this. We have a lot of, we have a lot of altered fans on, on the page and in the group, as you can imagine. And uh, what, I assume the safety stuff, was pretty good at that point and we know it's better now but that had to be a hell of a scary ride in one of those cars oh <laughs> i think back and i'm very scared that <laughs> <laughs> scares the hell out of me that we did what we did with as little safety as we actually had yeah um i mean literally uh some nomex underwear and a one piece a silver suit like they wore when they were in in the industrial factory, you know, yeah. uh, a leather face mask with the uh, goggles sewn into them. And uh, I mean, that was basically it. Wow. And, uh, you know, no crotch strap, just seat belts out of an old fighter plane or something. You know, I mean, literally that's, yeah. that's all there was. What what were the cha I, the chassis requirements? Probably weren't as stringent back then either, were they? There were there weren't requirements. SEMA <laughs> oh, hadn't gotten involved at that at that point. No, no, not at all. No, nothing was had to be approved. Uh, it just had a single hoop uh, cage on it. I mean, that that was it. Wow. And uh, in fact, I just didn't like being out literally in the open and uh, way back when I had them put another hoop in front 
just so I kind of felt like I was at least enclosed a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that was, that was it. And, and it was a, a gas welded, just, uh, you know, mild steel tubing. Yeah. It wasn't muffler tubing, but it was just mild steel that was gas welded, you know. And that's why everybody thought you guys were all crazy back then because man, um, <laughs> and that's why everybody loves the, the altered because everybody knew that you guys had what it took to drive one of them. So, uh, you uh, had to step out of the car, and I once again, I got this from my research. Um, you had to step out of the car at some point. I know Vietnam was going on then. Uh, the Vietnam War was right in the middle of it. Did you end up having to go to Vietnam, or did you serve in the States, or where did you serve? No, I, uh, I actually, they were, they were going to draft me, and I found out that there was a two-year regular Army program where I could sign up. And I just wanted to go do it, get it done, come back and go race. Yeah. I mean, that was literally it. So uh, I signed, actually signed up as a regular army. And I thought, eh, you know, what's the chances? Nah, I'll, I'll never go to Vietnam. I'm, I'm just the lucky guy, right? But I went to uh, basic training, advanced training, and straight to Vietnam. Wow. So I ended up being an artillery uh, and once I got into country uh, they found out I had a mechanical background so they put me in the motor pool they completely changed my I was trained as a gun bunny and then uh, went into the motor pool so I ended up uh, driving a 34,000 pound wrecker truck on all and following all the convoys that went everywhere anyway it I was with the 101st Airborne up in I Corps. Oh. And uh, out of just out of the capital, the old capital city of Way. Yeah. And um, everything went well for me over there. Um, I found out that if you had less than 150 days, uh, when you came back, that they would just let you go so that you would get out early. Wow. So I stayed, I stayed in Vietnam for 14 months, and two days and uh, came back and I was all done. So I, I served a total of 19 months and came back as an E5. So everything, you know, it, uh, it was an experience, uh, not one that I would recommend, no. but but uh, got through it, and uh, you know, everything's fine. That's good. I'm glad. And by the way, thank you for your service. You're welcome. So, with now you're back from the service. Um, let's talk about 1970 to 1972. You went back to driving for those couple of years in there, and what were you doing? And and I and I understand that during that period of time, there was even a beginning of a build on a funny car. Uh, right. Let me back up just a tad. Sure. Uh, when I was in the service, my dad continued to run the car. Okay. Frank Harris drove it. And that team of Harris and Bradford was killing them. I mean, Frank did a wonderful job, a terrific job driving the car for my dad. And they won a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, just a ton. 
So um, have to thank Frank for for doing such a good job. We're still in touch. He's a good guy, and uh, so did he, anyway. did, did he drive for someone else after you came back? Oh yeah, oh, uh, good. Frank drove a multitude of cars. Okay, he drove the Rat Trap for a while. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. Um, gosh, and off the top of my head, I can't think of all the cars that he had. Okay. But Frank the Hawk Harris uh, drove a whole bunch of stuff for different people, and everyone that he drove did a well, a really good job. Good. Okay. Let's go back to 1970. <laughs> <laughs> so you're back from the service, right? And you step yeah. back into the car. Is that right? Right away. Yep. I, uh, I was in the car within, uh, about three weeks because I had a, a fire suit made. Once it was made, I was back at it. So what did you guys do? Where did, I don't, I don't have any great knowledge of the altered, uh, fuel world. Where, where were you racing? Were there national events? Was it just local tracks? How did this work for the altered people? Well, for us, it was all just uh, the local tracks. Okay. I mean, the wonderful part of, uh, I, was, I was raised two blocks from Disneyland. <laughs> and, and so as far as I was concerned, the whole Southern California was a big Disneyland. <laughs> uh, but, but we had um, Lyons, Orange County, Irwindale, Carlsbad, Palmdale, Sacramento, Fremont. I mean, every weekend there was some place to take the altar. Yeah. So I got a lot of, you just got a lot of seat time. You don't, I just don't get that anymore. The seat time is, yeah, is a, is good stuff, you know, but, uh, but yeah. And, and I, I came right back, got in the car. We only ran the, the blown Chevy for, I'm going to say six to eight months okay. and um, got it down into the like seven fifties. And uh, my dad found a complete 392. And I don't remember what it came out of, but it came out of one of the Jeeps that was running as a funny car. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I know what you're talking about. Anyway, uh, we put that in the very first, and I remember this so clear, the very first weekend at Orange County that we ran the Chrysler, the car runs like 722 or something like that, just literally off the trailer compared. I mean, we picked up three tenths from the Chevy, yeah. and that was without even getting after it. So uh, that that combination with the uh, and that was high gear, no two speed. Yeah. Um, we ended up running, I think, uh, seven oh six, something like two fifteen or two sixteen <laughs> oh, with man. the Chrysler. And um, so I drove that until about the end of seventy three, and that was pretty much. We, we sold everything and uh, bought a funny car chassis, a rolling chassis that was Jeff Cordy's old uh, 
Mustang. Okay. And started putting it together and, and, uh, had, had the motor in. I mean, it literally all it needed was fuel lines and we were ready to run it. And I ended up getting married. And, um, so that just flat put a damper on, on, uh, on being able to race anymore for yeah. there. Uh, had had uh, kids right away and and uh, way before they they should have been here. So anyway, uh, raised my kids and and got everything all squared away. And uh, in '98, pops and I went to the hot rod reunion, and you know it was just like. Well, you never take the attic really away from the syringe, <laughs> you know, and and that's all it took. And the needle was was again implanted. <laughs> so, so I talked to Pop and I said, yeah, and the rat trap had just started running, and and uh, Mike was was running uh, the wing, and I said, yeah. you know, we can do this if if you'll supply a motor i'll build a complete car and we'll go racing and so in 99 i built the car pop got all the parts for the motor and uh we debuted it at the hot rod reunion in california in uh october 2000 and from there on we've been uh running the car and just progressively keep getting quicker with it, you know. And, and what? What? Just, what? Out of curiosity, what are you running now? How? how what? What's your ET? What's your speed? Well, we've run six oh five at <laughs> two forty two. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yeah, and it's it's still a short car. You've seen the pictures. I mean, yeah. it's it's a real fuel altered. It's not a transformer. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, it would pass every rule from 1970, including the 25% engine setback rule that was part of the deal back then. Oh, I didn't know so, that. Yeah, that's all you were allowed, 25%. That's but, why the, the, the engines were so high. People oh, were trying okay. to get that transfer to get traction and... Uh, so yeah, and and we've been just absolutely blessed. I mean, we've traveled all over the world with the car, thanks to uh, Ron Hope and the Rat Trap. He lets us follow him around, and uh, and it's and they're the Rat Trap people are just awesome. We just have a great time together, and and all the old families. I mean, the Huffs and and Guasco and you know. Everybody that uh, is still active, the old families, uh, yeah. gosh, right now with this COVID baloney going on, we just miss seeing each other. I mean, not just the racing, it's it's part of the fellowship too, you know. Well, you guys, I, I'm envious of you guys. That's a, I don't have anything like that in my life. You guys have a great fraternity, you know, and, and uh, just, you know, even with the Nitro Revival with Steve Gibbs and, and that whole inner fraternity that's still together what a what a great thing you guys have going there yeah yeah it is 
let me let me go back and just kind of give you some of the highlights of the, of the last 20 years. Sure. You know, so 2004, we were invited to the Goodwood Festival of Speed in England. So we actually had uh, six fuel altars there. Um, that's one thing. And then we've, we've raced all all kinds of different national NHRA events just as an exhibition. Yeah. Um, which included uh, the four wide. We had four fuel altars doing the four wide in Las Vegas a couple of years ago. I saw the video of that. That's pretty did, did cool. You? Yeah, that, that was, was cool. cool stuff. It was really cool. And uh, then in uh, 2016, we were invited back to England. So we raced uh, two different meets at Santa Pod. Okay. And also went to Germany and uh, raced there. So, yeah, it's, it's been phenomenal. So be- before you continue on, uh, uh-huh. I've always been curious about Santa Pod. I know back in the 70s, uh, a lot of guys would take their cars over there and compete at Santa Pod. What, what kind of a facility is that? It looks like a great track. Oh, it's a great track. Yeah. It, uh, and, and the people... I mean, the people were just fantastic. I mean, uh, we've made some some lifelong friends that uh, we were, you know, often talking back and forth. And uh, the track itself and, and the management, <coughs> excuse me, were, uh, you know, fabulous. And Santa, Santa Pod got a, I, I assume they have a good racing season over there. Um, is they, they do, do people show up to their races? Uh, it seems like in America, we're having a hard time filling stands at local, at smaller tracks anyway, but the people really respond to that over there. They do. They get, they have a very large crowd that comes in here. That's great. And they make, they make it like, uh, like a big carnival. I mean, they really do. They have a, a great time with the whole thing. Uh, and uh yeah it's 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 awesome okay so i'm sorry to interrupt you yeah not a problem well, and, and where else like that i had a problem with with uh santa pod is uh i think we ran like 234 over there and the shutoff area is just not good <laughs> <laughs> i've heard that they fixed it but the whole car with the shootout would jump completely off the ground a couple of times <laughs> and uh, Ron Hope and the fact in the rat trap uh, got to bouncing around down there actually bent uh, one of his a arms so it uh, <laughs> but I, I understand they've repaved everything and it's nice and flat now so that's that's awesome good people uh, over in England, and uh, I, I believe when I talked to you on the phone, you said you also went down to Australia, too, at some point, didn't you? Right. Uh, 2019, we went to Australia. Um, they had what they called the World Fuel Altered Challenge. So we had four cars from the United States. There was four Aussie cars. And... Uh, there was two cars from New Zealand. So um, we all ran round robin. Uh, 
uh, kind of Chicago style. Yeah. So whoever won the most would come back for the final. Well, I was fortunate enough to win both of my runs. And I was coming back in the final against uh, one of the Australia cars. And it started and it rained. Oh. <laughs> so, so it's unfinished business right now. <laughs> so does that mean we can expect a altered being loaded on a plane again and heading for Australia sometime in the near future? That's, that's going to happen. That's going to happen. It's just a matter of, uh, of they, we expect it to happen uh, 2022. Okay. But, uh, we haven't got it firmed up yet, but we're working at it. Okay. So I have to ask you this and I, I've heard this anecdotal stuff for years now. You know, uh, I remember John Force and some other guys used to run down in Australia on occasion. And um, I know Big used to go over to Santa Pod. And I've heard these stories that uh, not only is the logistics a pain in the butt to try and get there with your car, but the cars take a beating in the process. Is that true or not? Well, absolutely true. Yeah. Absolutely true. Uh, the cars, uh, we send them over in a Connex container. Oh, so they go by sh ship? So, so they go, yeah, they go by ship. Okay. So you've got two issues there. Once uh, one of them's bouncing around. Yeah. And the second one is just uh, everything wants to rust and, <laughs> you know, be a problem like that. Uh, and imagine mag wheels turn into, they grow things on the mag wheels while they're in the container. Wow. So, um, yeah, and we really go over the cars after we get them back uh, or wherever, you know, we get them into England and we actually pull all the tin off and take a look at all the welds. And um, 2016, we actually had to pull the engine out of the rat trap and redo a couple of the uh, engine mounts that, wow. uh, you know, that, it's that tough on them. How, how long, when, once they go in that container, how long of a period of time are we talking about before they come back out, say, over at, at, in England? Well, in, in England, it's four to five weeks. Wow. After you ship it till you get it out of customs. And they've always, we've always been really fortunate. And, and whoever we're racing for there, whether it's Santa Pod or or uh, Sydney, uh, they've brought the cars out to the track for us and all of our equipment. We aren't able to ship the trailers, but we have kind of a big roadie box and, and yeah. a toolbox that rolls, and we just put our stuff in that and and off we go. You know, we don't have spare engines or anything. Wow. So. Um, yeah, it's it, but it's 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 worth all the effort. It's okay. absolutely worth the effort, uh, and I can guarantee you, we're we're looking forward to uh, going back to Australia and possibly New Zealand. Um, we'll we'll see how all that works out, but uh, yeah, right. traveling overseas is is fun. It's just absolutely fun. Uh, I, and you get the same kind of reception in, uh, from the people, the fans in Australia and New Zealand as you do in England? Oh, if, if not more. Um, well, I know that there was a period of time 
and I don't remember what the time period was, if it was 70s or into the 80s more, but there was uh, drivers from America that were doing some pretty regular racing in the off-season, American off-season down in Australia, as I recall. And are all those tracks still operational down there? Would they have five or six tracks, as I, if I'm remembering right? Oh, there's there's a ton of tracks. Yeah. I actually asked that when we were there, and and the guy just blurted off the top of his head probably twenty tracks. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and and one of the one of the things and that that I was told was that uh, the tracks are actually owned by the government and leased to the operators. So they, they, the government has um, uh, put a lot of money in uh, recreation, per se, and uh, that's the way it goes. It sounds like uh, football stadiums are built in America. It's almost the same kind of idea. The government yeah. builds a football stadium and the football team leases it from it. That's kind of that same concept. Yeah. Yeah, that's what they do. So I'd like to ask you, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you what, what kind of uh, – uh, you, your dad is the one that started all of this rolling. What, what kind of real impact did your dad have on, on you as a racer and just in general on the team and the family? Well – I know that's a big we, question. We, no, it's, it's, it's a huge question, and we could probably spend four hours on just yeah. that. But, um, yeah, Pop was, uh, was the major driver of me getting into doing what I do and supporter. Uh, the only time we ever had any issues is I always wanted to go faster and he was trying to keep me safe. Yeah. So, so, yeah, and we raced together. He was uh, 86 when he passed on, and we raced together right up till then. He was a fortunate man to have pretty darn good health right up till the time he passed away. That's great. So, uh, yeah, so it's... It's not that often that uh, you can spend that kind of time with your dad, you know, and it's, we always, uh, always did well. Did, you know? did, did, did he continue when, when you were off raising your family, did, did he continue to stay involved in the racing world? No, he actually went fishing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He went fishing basically. And, and like I said, 98, we got back together from, about 74 is pretty much when I bowed out. And then, and then 98, we, uh, we got back together and started going to the races and built a car. So did, did he, he would, go, go ahead, ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. He, <laughs> we, we, we always had a running joke because uh, of course he was the tuner and he would say, uh, and I, and I mixed the fuel. So he would say, well, son, mix up the batch and, and, you know, back in the old days, we were lucky to get like 76 or 78% in the car. And he'd say, mix me up a batch of 76 because, the, you know, 
the barometer and everything, and it's yeah, here we are at sea level, and that's probably all we can put in it without hurting it. And the man never burned the piston. I mean, literally, we ran the car the whole time, and we never burned the piston until I started tuning it. <laughs> <laughs> but, but uh, I would mix up like seventy-eight because I always wanted to go just a little faster. So he'd say, okay, is that 76? And, and I'm not a good poker player. <laughs> so he knew right away, you know, he'd look at my face. All right. He'd say, okay, actually it was 78 that I wanted, and I knew you'd cheat too. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> that, was, that was always the running joke. Yeah. <laughs> so when I'm when you guys got back into this, were were I guess I don't know what were your mechanical skills? Did he take care of all the me mechanics on the car, and you were just the driver? Or did you have skills too? Oh no, no, I I built the car complete myself. I mean, I built the tin work, and the only thing I had was the chassis bent up, and uh, a sprint car friend of mine bent bent it up and uh, laid the main chassis. And then after that, I tabbed it and, and put everything on it. Um, yeah, my, I'm, I do everything. Um, in fact, now I have a complete engine shop and back with the race car shop. And okay. uh, that's how I support this bad habit. <laughs> you know, it, and I, you know, forgive me for asking that question, but you know, in the in the modern in the modern world of of racing that we're we're in right now, uh, there's such a huge separation between drivers and tuners. You know, the uh, I I think probably most of the drivers, the current crop of drivers, wouldn't know how to how to do anything with an engine. But yeah. uh, so, you know, and and what I'm finding out talking to all of you guys that were part of this in the 60s and 70s was that basically every one of you knew how to build a car, how to build an engine, how to put it all together, and also how to drive it. Well, I'm, I'm currently, uh, you know, it, it, it takes a team to definitely run the car. Uh, Pop and I ran it. I mean, <laughs> the two of us ran, ran it back in, in the 70s, early 70s when we were on tour. And, uh, you know, he'd push me. We'd start it. We didn't do a burnout. We, I mean, it, it, we didn't do them back then. Yeah. We just started it, pushed it around, and, and off it went, you know. But uh, now I, I have uh, two guys that help me pretty permanent. Um, one guy I've, I've handed the clutch off to, which is probably the worst job there is. Yeah. But, <laughs> But he does a great job. Brander does a great job with it. And, um, you know, we pick up people that help us, and, and we, we don't typically do a whole lot of maintenance. Um, I pretty much run the motor three or four passes before we pull the heads. Yeah. And uh, we try to do a bearing check about every other pass just to be sure. But we just don't thump on it that hard. Yeah. So w w here's a mechanical question for you then. 
when it comes to setting up a fuel engine, you know, and I know you guys do it based on atmospheric conditions and, you know, water grains and whatever else is going on there. Is this something that you just learn over time? Is there formulas that you guys have figured out over, over a period of time on how to set a car up? Or is there a lot of guesswork involved from racetrack to racetrack? Well, typically, I, I have a lot of uh, written information. I mean, every run, I keep a logbook okay. of, uh, you know, adjusted altitude. Uh, we really don't, we kind of <laughs> stick our hand out if it's raining and there's a lot of water grains. But <laughs> that's, that's about it for us. I mean, there is no, nothing on the car that's computer, period, nothing. And so I'm reading the spark plugs and basically doing it all old school. And, uh, you know, yeah, we're fortunate to run as, as well as we are with as little carnage as, as, as we have. <laughs> okay. So, um, here's the question of the day. And I know we, we've got, uh, Mikey Horn is, is, he's always posting, uh, altered pictures over on the group side of this. And I know, uh, uh, Burke Halter's over there, uh, and I haven't had a chance to talk to him yet, but we got, I got to ask this. What exactly is it like to be strapped into one of these cars and handling? I saw one picture of you, I believe it was at Famosa, where you got three wheels off the ground, and it looks like you're going to go over on your side. Uh, it's uh, Every now and then, it, 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 it gives me problems, but uh, shoot, I, I'm comfortable like on the couch really in the car now i mean it's just you got to respect it yeah but but on the same hand um you got to have your your faculties to uh make sure you do everything correctly and uh i don't know if i could drive another car i've been driving this particular chassis for 20 years now and and it 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 talks to me you know it's a <laughs> It, it basically kicks me in the butt and tells me, move your hands this way or that way. You know, it's, uh, it, it actually has been, uh, a, it's not an easy car to drive, yeah. but it's been, it's been good for me. You just, um, you have to be busy with it all the time. It, you can't relax. Were, did you run at uh, Famoso? Uh, I don't remember if it was, I guess it was the March meet when Ron Caps was out there driving the good vibrate. I think it was the good vibrations altered. Were you out there when he did that? Yeah. Yeah. Ron talked to him quite a bit and he's always, uh, he's always a great guy to be around. That's gotta be a hell of a transition coming from a fuel funny car going into an altered. I know I saw an interview with him and he, he was having a hell of a time, a lot of fun doing it. Yeah. Beckman has asked me about probably 25 times when he's <laughs> going to get to drive it. And, and Jack, if, if you know anything about Jack, he's, he's, he's an awesome, just awesome guy. And, uh, he's, we, we, uh, we have a lot of mutual respect. I, I, I think the world of him and, uh, I think a lot of other people do also, but, yeah, I, I'm going to keep driving this darn thing as uh, long as I'm still standing. So yeah, I think I got another 
another, hey, let's drive it for another 10 years. I've, I've never had the opportunity to talk to Jack Beckman, but everything that I see with this guy and just his knowledge of the sport and the history of the sport and uh, just watching him talk, he, he, he's an impressive guy. I'm hoping someday I can have the opportunity to talk to him, but uh, yeah, he's an impressive guy. Guys, somebody going to let him strap into one of these alters at some point? <laughs> you know, I don't see why not. I mean, uh, unfortunately, he's without a ride this year. Yeah. So is, um, is, he's is, back to the elevator business. Yeah, that's unfortunate. Is uh, um, the Good Vibrations one that, that uh, Ron Capps drove, who owns that car? Um, you're talking about the, the blue Fiat? Yeah, isn't that the name of that? Isn't yeah, yeah. it called Good Vibrations? Um. I might be wrong about that. Yeah, no, they, they call it something out. Uh, good news, I think. So what that, they call that it. might be it. I'm yeah. thinking of the good vibration um, motorsport. That's what I'm thinking I of. I believe, and I might say it wrong, but Hertz Hertzgog Hertzgog is a, a geyser out of Sacramento. So you're going to be um, at the Nitro Revival this year, also uh, in November, correct? And uh, what are, what are you all going to be doing there? How are you going to be participating? Well, uh, my understandings will fire up the car a couple of times, but we're also going to go out on the track and probably make uh, a four or five hundred foot hit. Maybe, uh, maybe do a burnout the whole eighth mile and then back up. Who knows? But uh, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, there's just not enough shutoff area to really run it to the eighth. Yeah, um, the car runs. Typically 194, 196 at the eighth mile. Wow. And, uh, and my understanding is that it's a, you, you basically shut off mostly on the oval turnaround there. So probably not a good idea to run it that hard. <laughs> well, I'm going to be, I'm going to be out there with video camera and, still camera in hand. Uh, Steve said he was going to get me credentialed so we could come out there and I'm hoping to be able to get some close up video of you doing that full track burnout. That'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait to see that. I, yeah. I, you're in California, correct? I'm actually uh, North of Seattle, about 80 miles. Oh, you are. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So Been up here since the late seventies, I, I did a little messaging with Cindy Gibbs and she thought that, that, this event was going to happen that, that, you know, the whole COVID nonsense was going to be hopefully looking in our rearview mirror by that point. And the event was going to happen in November and I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I know that there's a lot of people at our. Yeah. So right now, how much seat time do you actually get? Uh, let's say in a calendar year, how much, how many times are you putting that car uh, down the track? But typically we run eight to 10 events a year. Okay. And you know, that that's probably like three runs an event. So, you know, 25 to 30 passes a year. Is, um, are, are they competitive event, events or are they uh, purely? Well, yeah. Most, most of the time uh, we match race. Okay. So we, we typically will have myself, the rat trap, um, Nanook, pure hell. Uh, the four of us like to go out and put on exhibition shows and 
<laughs> and and beat up on each other literally. <laughs> I mean, there, there's no. <laughs> We'll, we'll run them hard. There, there's no pussyfooting around. So, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's, uh, it's fun. It's just a blast. Did Mike Boyd bring the, the Winged Express out? Is he out with that thing every now and then, too? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he'll come out. Um, he puts on such a great show, and, yeah. and, and he is a fabulous person. Let me tell you. He's... Uh, He's quite the man. He really is. So I always uh, enjoy his friendship. We don't race each other very often because we're just so much quicker, you know. Yeah. But we didn't used to be. <laughs> we used to race each other a lot, you know, uh, up till the last about six, seven years. Yeah. And I've, I've just, I keep hopping it up and I can't help myself. <laughs> Well, I'm gonna be. I'm gonna act like your dad for a second. Be safe doing that. We want to see okay. that thing around for a while. <laughs> we we really don't break much stuff, but uh, I I I just I can't help myself. I have to go as fast as I can. <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. Is the uh, is the March meet actually going to happen? Is it now the May meet? What's what's the status of that? Do you know? From what I understand is uh not likely it's california that's with their bad. politics and whatever's going on there yeah it's not likely um if they run it we probably will take the altered and uh, run the march meet this our altered we don't normally run the march meet because the frankly we we don't make any money but but we normally get paid something to run the car yeah and it defers the cost so I can, I can keep running it. Yeah. And like the March meet is, is completely competitive and out of my pocket. So if we don't qualify and, and it's just an expensive trip to go from Seattle and spend basically a week down there and, you know, I'm, my pockets just uh, aren't that deep. Well, unfortunately, but we my have to race over. <laughs> well, my understanding is with the, with the March meet and this and where it's at, you know, uh, they're down to, if I'm, everything I'm reading is correct. They're down to eight car fields right now anyway, because I mean, what, what used to be, at least from a layman's point, what used to be a great nostalgia thing is now turned into this highly competitive, very expensive uh, racing scene, you know, with the nostalgia guys and most of the cars are, I believe the whole field's down to eight car fields now, aren't they? You know, I'm not positive, but I know top fuel is, um, I believe the funny cars have been running two eight car fields, okay. like a A and a B field. Yeah. But, um, yeah, the, the cost of nitro, the, and then, I mean, these guys and, and the funny cars and top fuel are running them on the edge and over, over too much. I oh mean, yeah. A lot of those guys are almost putting complete motors in them every run. And, and, uh, you know, that, that makes it uh, tough on, on the guy that just wants to go play. Well, and this is my little soapbox moment. I, I wish that somehow the rules 
creep that has happened there in the nostalgia series to allow these guys to just keep going faster and faster and running that hard. I wish they would pull that back and, and, and bring those costs back down. So I, I would really love to see the nostalgia series continue on and not die off because of costs. I mean, the NHRA is suffering terribly right now with, with costs and all that. So I don't yeah. know if there's a way back or not. I don't know. That's, that's the, the only saving grace fuel alterts have is there's a 6-0 limit. So, um, you know, if you run quicker than 6-0, you don't qualify. You're out. And uh, I think that, that in itself uh, regulates uh, how hard you can push everything. Yeah. But then you get the guys that say, well, you're just running a bracket car. <laughs> well, bracket car or not, um, you know, we're not blowing shit up every five minutes. And, and that's, I believe one of the reasons. And frankly, if, if they had a bunch of, late model motors we still run the the donovan you yeah. know but a bunch of late model motors with uh you know dual mags and all that stuff fuel alters have to run you know 550s that's out of my league.